Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. I'm your host, Jose, and today we're speaking with Jessica Miller Marrow. Jessica is a workplace change agent, author, and consultant focused on human resources and talent acquisition living in Austin, Texas. She's the founder of Workology, a workplace HR resource and host of the Workology podcast. So, what are we going to discuss? What skills do managers need to handle the challenges of hybrid work? How has the role of Chief Human Resources Officer changed in the last two years? What are recent areas of personal development that HR and TAs need to improve? Jessica has tons of experience in this field and is here to answer this and much more on the Coffee with Recruiter podcast. Okay, we are recording now. Hello, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for asking and very excited for this call. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to describe your, your profile and experience because, you know, you're, you're a practitioner, you're kind of a thought leader, you, you know, you've spoken to so many uh, leaders in this space, and I'm just super excited to be speaking with you and to pick your brains on some very pressing issues, if you know. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, to start with, can you give us a little intro to yourself and what you do? Hi, everyone. Well, my name's Jessica Miller Merrill, and I'm, I'm the founder of an online community called Workology. It's a place where HR leaders can get access to resources, information, and support. I am committed to providing HR and workplace leaders and arming them with helpful information to help them elevate their organizations. I think that with the changing world, the increased access to information, it's really overwhelmed HR and recruiting leaders. And so I'm here to help make your life easier and simpler and, and just serve you up with just content support and just information to help you do your, your jobs better, make sense of the madness that, that is out there. I've, I've been in the HR space for a really long time, over 20 years. I started out as an HR leader working in retail. And in 2005, I started a blog as a way to recruit candidates and it became a business. And so now this is what I do for a living. Like I talk on podcasts, I speak, we write, uh, I talk, I, I coach. It's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree that as a recruiter myself, there's, I mean, everyone has an opinion on how you should do your job and, and telling you, hey, you know, like, have you seen this article or have you read this blog or have you heard this podcast? And it's, as you just mentioned, it's quite overwhelming to to be pointed in every direction and stretched in every direction as you go along your profession, you know, so to have someone that can really, um, you know, sort of prioritize the right topics, ideas, content, um, and, and point us sort of to the right direction, it's, it's refreshing to say the least. I'm sure you get that a lot or... I do. I get a lot of panicked TA <laughs> or HR leaders. I got an, a direct message, private message on Facebook today from... This morning, I was I was recording my own podcast just a little bit ago, and somebody was looking for employment law resources in in the New York. Like, can you change schedules? And I'm not an attorney, but I'm dangerous, and I can help point you in the right direction to help uh, make your search a little bit easier. And especially, you know, going into some of the topics that I wanted to discuss today, um, I suppose you know, in the last maybe year or two, the the content that you're providing or that you're looking at uh, or that we receive maybe on LinkedIn and everything is 
quite different and it's quite tailored to to virtual work right i mean a lot of companies are sort of somewhere in between fully remote hybrid remote fully on site they're trying to decide uh what it is they need to do i mean for example um you know today in london a a, a good friend of mine a good acquaintance of mine that works at a at a very large company in london um their company had an all hands where um uh, the c suite uh, made an announcement about about what the situation is with working from home because it was kind of in limbo and and they announced that okay from now on we're going to try this three days on site uh, two days remote a week process to see how that goes and obviously everyone had a different opinion about that because some people wanted fully remote fully on site or somewhere in between you know it's you know, it's tough to really find something that suits everyone, right? Um, so I guess my question leading up to that was, um, you know, with this topic of, you know, a mix of in-person or virtual work being so important, what exactly is sort of the, the difference, right? Or how is a mix of in-person and virtual work different from, from being fully on site to begin with? Because that's kind of one of the questions that a lot of companies are struggling with. There are a lot of leaders right now that are falling all over themselves and I think making a lot of mistakes in this area. I I do believe that you can get work done working fully remote. In fact, my team, with the exception of two people here in the US, because I also own a co-working space in Austin, so I need to have people to open up the co-working space, but you can do it fully remote. And I have global team members who are on different work schedules and we're getting work done. We're delivering client resources, meeting deadlines, getting podcasts published, doing all the things that my business promises to do to support our clients and customers. So um, it's an individual choice, I believe. If a person doesn't have to be on site and they've been able to operate during this pandemic, virtually they should have the option to be able to continue. I think that the first thing that employers need to do is talk to their people. What do you need in order to remain an employee and to be able to be happy in your jobs? That might be all remote. That might be a hybrid where you're focused in person. That might be a hybrid where you are virtual first in-person second, or it, it might be um, in-person fully. There are certain businesses that have to have people in front of them to be able to do things. Restaurant, hospitality industry are a couple of examples. Repair people. I have a carpet cleaner coming later this week to clean my carpets. It's been a while since I've been able to do that. They can't do that virtually. Companies that are able to allow and have been allowing people to work remotely that suddenly shift gears and decide, hey, everybody, we're coming back into the office. I believe that they don't, if they don't ask their people, they're just lazy, bad leaders. They are not thinking about putting in place first. Maybe their life situation has changed. Maybe they are now taking care of their parents and they're, they're needing to work from home or they have a medical condition or, or something like that. Or they have moved and they just haven't had an opportunity to tell you that they now live in Spain when they were living in Austin, Texas. It's, there's a whole variety of, of reasons. But if they've been able to work remotely, I think employees should be able to remain remote. It's their choice. 
And do you feel that, you know, proper hiring practices can also help with this, right? Because it's all, you know, moving forward, it's about identifying the people that are self-starters, that can self-manage, that might not need too much hand-holding. Whereas, you know, some people, they're just more, they really need someone there physically to, um, to I suppose, guide them or mentor them. I suppose, especially junior people, right? Or, or people just starting or people that just personality-wise, they just need someone near them. I, I believe that each person is a little bit different and that you do need to take an individualized approach to that, which is could take up more of your time. However, everybody remote is great. Like I can be doing this podcast in pajama pants or no <laughs> pants at all, which I am wearing pants, but it's as long as they're not hurting anyone and they're getting work done, why does it have to matter? As far as coaching and developing people, I think it can be done remotely. You just have to be more intentional about it. I have calls twice a week with my team. We have a 30 to 45 minute stand-up call on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then our team is broken out. We have different two different team leaders. And so they are meeting with their teams individually and talking to them and then if it needs to be escalated to me, it can be, but then I'm checking in on my, with, with my team, with my team members too, seeing how they are. Do they have any questions? Do they need any support in different ways? It just takes a little bit more process and intentionality to doing it this way, but you can get people developed and they can learn and they can grow and feel like they are part of a team when you are fully and completely remote. Well, this, this brings me to one thing because obviously, or correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously the arrival of hybrid or fully remote work has created certain challenges that sometimes managers may not be prepared to deal with, right? I mean, you know, going from fully on site to fully remote, not having your people there or, you know, learning to communicate through digital means via Zoom or just learning how to mentor people, whatever it may be, it might create a bit of a challenge or a bit of friction, right? Or or just pains to transition from fully on-site to hybrid or fully remote, right? What would you say are maybe the top one, two, maybe three skills that managers, that you've seen, you know, from speaking with various leaders in this space, that what are the top skills that managers need to acquire or improve to handle the challenges of, of hybrid work, really? They need to be comfortable with the tech and be familiar with how it can be used. For example, they need to, if they're going to use Zoom, you know, they need to be looking at breakout rooms and be comfortable doing that or using Slack or, or whatever tools. They need to be experts in these resources and think about and ask their team about how they want to, to be engaged or the different types of resources and support they need. Just like I'm asking my HR and recruiting folks that are listening to our podcast or reading our newsletter, I'm, I'm talking to them and saying like, what are some ways that you would like to learn or receive information or communicate with me? And they are willing to share. I, I think you're going to, as a manager, going to have to be comfortable with the tech, number one, and be able to understand that people learn and need to communicate differently and have a plan for that. The other thing I would say for managers who are having to work with hybrid is they need to really have a a process or a system or a schedule. I am 
a task. Um, I identify my tasks every day. I have um, a planner that I use to stay organized. So I know who I'm following up with, when I'm following up with them, how I'm doing it. But I also leave my schedule a little bit open to be able to talk to these people and be available should somebody say, hey, I need to pick your brain, which is what happened five minutes before we started the podcast. I had somebody say, hey, I have a quick question. Do you have five minutes? Yes, absolutely. It was something that we needed to talk through uh, over the phone really fast. But managers need to create systems and schedules for themselves so that they can be their most productive, but then make time for their people. Because if your people aren't firing on all cylinders, feeling excited about their jobs and ready to go to work, things aren't going to get done. And then that's when things break down. Oh, I fully agree with the, you know, the two points you made. I mean, when it comes to the technology, I mean, we kind of forget that, you know, how many times does Google Meet crash or someone jumps on a call, but their audio is not working and it takes a while to set up or to refresh or you need to restart the thing. So, I mean, look, there's all kinds of hiccups, you know, as we as we go into this world, but especially when it comes to having a process, as you just mentioned, because, you know, I guess when you're fully on site, you can just walk up to someone, to someone's desk, talk to them, ask them a question and done, right? But a lot of times when it's done online, it kind of gives people the opportunity to not answer immediately or to just maybe give you a quick answer that doesn't quite give you what you need you know that communication it kind of breaks down right so having a process or a schedule or making time for these calls and planning them and and making them meaningful i suppose is the the right approach to it yeah we we have a team agenda every on our mondays and wednesdays calls and i kind of give them an overview of what's happening and then each person we go through Um, On Wednesdays, everybody joins, but on Mondays, it's kind of the core team and the core team uh, for every meeting, the team tells me the three priorities that they're working on right now. And then if they have any specific questions for anybody or they need clarification, and then we move on to the next person. And then at the end, I ask if there's any other questions that have popped up from when they've last talked. And then we're able to do that very quickly in really under 30 minutes and then move on to our activities and tasks for the day. And one thing, so one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, coming back to your work, you know, as a, as a, as a, I suppose, you know, as I suppose a consultant or a thought leader with, you know, working with experts in this field and providing the right skills, content and so forth. And even as a podcaster, right, you know, you've met so many uh, leaders in the space uh, that I suppose, you know, you've picked up a few things along the way. I'd be curious to know from that experience, how has the the chief human resources officer or, or CHRO role evolved recently over the last two years, roughly? I mean, what would be the top, the top highlights for this particular role and the space in general that you've seen, uh, you know, are making great shifts along the way? Well, COVID kind of put HR leaders right in the center of it all. And whether they wanted to be there or not, because we had to furlough people, we had to come up with a new remote policy, deal with COVID testing, sanitation, scheduling, all the different things, how we're gonna communicate with our people on board, off board, uh, doing that all online. 
early in the pandemic, I started thinking about, okay, there's no conferences. I don't know when this is going to end. How are we going to learn from each other? Because one of the things I liked about in-person events at conferences is I could like have a cocktail and a cup of coffee and hear someone talk to me about, and I can ask questions, you know, what are you working on? What's working for you right now? How do you feel about, um, hybrid work, kind of like what we're doing. And, um, I decided to reach out to chief human resource officers during COVID because a, we can't, I wouldn't see them in person. I'm not going to any conferences to hear someone speak. And I thought if there's a time for HR leaders to be comfortable with technology, it would be now because they've all had to transition to zoom and, and online meetings. And so, um, I have been interviewing CHROs as part of a, a series on the Workology podcast called the CHRO series, easy to remember. And um, I've been talking to HR leaders and these chief people, human chief people, officer positions of all sizes. We've talked to a chief of staff in a media company with 25 employees. We've talked to the CHRO at IBM, uh, Nicole Lamoureux. There are over 350,000 employees. What I found really interesting is that the challenge is really still the same. It's how do you keep your people engaged, a focus on culture, and then how do we either retain and or hire our people? But um, each HR leader, they have different approaches to doing that because they might be no budget, some budget, uh, they might be working in the nonprofit space. Um, but the mission, or the overall mission of of HR really hasn't changed. It's just become more important. And I feel like the CEO and the executive team are relying more on HR to be business leaders versus just paper pushers, which I'm excited about. I've been waiting for this moment. I didn't know it needed to take a pandemic to be able to make it happen, but there's really a divide between two different types of HR leaders. And this is not just US-based, but globally in my experience, there's administrative HR and then there's strategic HR. So there is a bigger divide than ever before. And I really feel like it's my time to help bridge the gap between um, that administrative HR, getting them the support they need to be able to grow and, and evolve. And then how do we continue to connect and support uh, those strategic HR leaders so that they can continue to support their business through not just COVID, but beyond. Well, it's so interesting what you said about administrative HR, right? Because, and let's put it this way. I mean, it's actually a good thing to have, you know, people that are good at maintaining processes and having that stability in your company of things running smoothly. But if you get too comfortable doing the same thing over and over and maintaining the same processes, then when, you know, things happen, right, like they've done recently, or when it's time to innovate and change, or where, you know, when the glass door negative reviews start piling up, well, how are you going to adapt? How are you going to change, right? So having that attitude of, okay, there's been problems, changes, and it's time for us to move along with the times and adapt, it's actually you know, it's, you, we have to, you know, there's no other choice. Either you, you sink or swim, I suppose. Innovate or die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, one thing I was curious about, um, following up from the CHRO, going back, I suppose, taking it a step, a, a step down and looking at, um, you know, just, I suppose, not necessarily CHROs, but also um, 
uh, HR admins or talent acquisition experts or recruiters. I suppose people that are on the front lines, right? I suppose the practitioners, as opposed to the people, I suppose the delivery, right? The you know mm-hmm. the side of delivery as opposed to the more strategic roles. What would be areas of personal development that HR or, or TAs need to improve upon, you know, based on these conversations you've had and, and the work you've done? As, as I'm thinking about TA or HR leaders, it's really taking a look in, at yourself internally as an individual and think about what are your big picture goals for yourself. And then whether it's getting promoted or retiring or moving into owning your own business, agency, sourcing business, consultancy, whatever it is. And then from that sort of ultimate goal, moving backward and thinking about the different resources or training or support that you are going to need. What HR and TA leaders need to think about is not the support and information they need now, but the support and information that they're going to need in 18 months in five years and start preparing for that now, which means you need to get access to a coach or a community of people that are going to help give you honest answers and resources and insights into what you need. When I'm thinking about me and my personal development, I'm thinking and I'm looking at people who have, um, you know, $20 million businesses, $100 million businesses in not just the HR space, like outside, like how, what kind of CEO am I going to be? And do I need to be in order to have a $20 million business? And then in thinking about that, like, what are the gaps that I have in my own personal and professional development? And then what kind of support do I need to be able to get there? So you have to plan for that now so that you can meet your ultimate goal, whatever that is in whatever role. And I don't think that we've ever really thought about that in HR. I know I haven't. I've just said, oh, you know, I want to move into the HR director job and this job description I says, says I need these things. But really it's, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what are my ultimate goals? And then what can I invest in that's going to differentiate me from my competition, which would be other people maybe who are listening to this podcast, what kind of things do I need that others don't, they're going to, that they don't have to help make me stand out from the rest so that I can get promoted or move into that new role or launch my business, whatever it is. Well, it's so interesting what you just said, because I think, I suppose due to recent developments, you know, COVID or furloughs or working from home, remote working, the, I suppose the, what's a good way of putting it, the attention has been on the short term, right? Like, oh, times have changed. So short term, what do I need to know? Oh, I need to know all of this stuff about, you know, furloughs or, 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 or redundancies or how to work remotely. But actually, this is, hopefully, I mean, it's temporary, right? I mean, eventually COVID is going to pass. Eventually, furloughs, redundancies, this is all shifting, right? I mean, things are kind of slowly moving back to normal. And and at least I'm just speaking for London, right? But uh, it really feels like over the last six months, the employment situation has changed because uh, tech, I mean, I work in tech, right? I mean, I work at a fintech company. I focus mainly on tech roles and tech roles have really bounced back. I mean, there's uh, so many companies, startups, scale-ups looking for employees that were, you know, kind of back in 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 a good situation. So, so 
you know, paying attention to the short-term skills you need is nice, but I like what you said, just thinking about yourself and thinking, okay, in five years time, what is it that I want from my career and how do I move in that direction? I think we need to be more strategic and, and I probably going to get some heat for saying this, but let I, in general, like anybody can search on LinkedIn, anybody can send an email message. So that is a skill that I can teach a VA out of the Philippines to be able to do if I wrote a script. There are tools that can do that and automate it, even though I know LinkedIn doesn't like those things. Um, Those things can be duplicated and replicated. So thinking beyond that, what are things that I can have as a competitive advantage as a HRTA leader? Maybe it's becoming an expert, in-house expert on the areas of artificial intelligence for sourcing or for TA overall or the organization. And then how can I use that to position myself as a more valuable asset at my current organization or in future ones? I think are things that we need to be thinking about. And then how can we leverage the global access that we have to each other and then different kinds of people and resources um, to help uh, us as well as our organization be more competitive globally because that's the direction that we're going. Like we're going to be competing for talent. You and I, if we were in a similar ESH role, let's say I worked in FinTech too, chances are that a company in the future, maybe in the next six months, might be reaching out to us directly. I'm in the US, you're in London. It doesn't matter. They're a global organization. And what are some things that you can have uh, as a competitive advantage that are going to that are going to get you this new job um, comparative to me? And those are the kind of things that we need to be thinking out beyond, you know, here's the coolest Chrome extension that can do a Boolean string for me. I mean, I'm sorry, but um, uh, I, mean, I love those you're, too. You're so, you're so right. I mean, I think you, you've you said what a lot of recruiters were probably thinking, but were kind of afraid to say, which is that, I mean, it kind of in six, in your first six months of recruitment, you've, I mean, is it is it weird to say that you've kind of maxed out the sourcing skill, right? I mean, and You've, you've kind of done all there is to do. I mean, there's obviously new tools you can use or that one new Chrome extension or this new job candidate platform tool that you can use. But at the end of the day, it's you write a message, it gets a response. You kind of maybe track the response rate. You see what works, what doesn't. And well, that's, that's, that's kind of it really. So where do you go from there, right? Is kind of the question. Yeah. And I think those are the kinds of things that we should be asking ourselves right now, um, not just for the next 12 months, but for the next 48 months or beyond. Um, now, final question, and this is such an interesting one, because in your in some of your work, you talk about the importance of having a, a culture of empathy at work. And um, I was I was looking at this and I thought, well, Oh, you know, I know quite a few hiring managers or, or, or company leaders that would say, oh, empathy, uh, you know, why do we need that? Or actually it's about performance or about ambition or about drive and this and that. Um, I suppose, what are we, what are we missing? You know, what's the importance of having a culture of, of empathy at work and, and how do you build that? It starts by getting to know your people. And those managers that say, oh, we don't need that, that's you know a bunch of BS. Those people, I would argue, are going to have higher turnover and lower productivity because they don't take care of their people. They don't care about their people. You need to start by getting to know your people, talking to them, building a relationship, 
giving them an opportunity to share what's important and if they have any ideas or suggestions. Just, you know, even if it's just something silly like, asking about their favorite book or we were talking this morning about uh our favorite we were talking about in the morning which was funny but um our favorite like alcoholic drink i love margaritas and we just interviewed this the chro of torchy's tacos for the workology podcast so it's talking about why it's my favorite drink and i asked my team like hey what's your favorite like drink alcoholic or not and um it, it made for a good culture building, team building exercise where we had fun. We got to know something a little bit different about ourselves. Um, you can't just ask those kind of things on a Zoom call and think that you're done. You need to be intentional, checking in with your people, having skip level meetings or one-on-one -on -one conversations with these people. This is how you build a culture of empathy. And then when somebody says, hey, I need to take my family to the doctor or to go get a COVID shot, you need to do what you've been preaching and say, hey, no problems. Take all the time you need. Just let me know back on Slack when you're going to be back in. Um, I have uh, someone on my team who moved recently and the movers showed up two days early and they were originally supposed to be there on a Saturday and they showed up on a Thursday. And so she sent me a panic message and I was like, hey, it's no big deal. You can't control the movers go ahead and take the rest of the day off. And then you can work your schedule, flex your, flex your schedule the rest of the week about that. That is how you build a culture of empathy. It's the small things that you can do every day. And I guarantee that my people love their job. They're, they enjoy working with me. Um, and I have not met half my team in person. We are fully remote and completely online, but they have said it's the best damn job that they've ever had. And it's because we've created a great culture where we get to know people and we treat them like human beings. That's the difference. I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, especially that part where, you know, okay, you're listening, you, you attend meetings, you have one-to-ones, but actually when the moment comes, when it comes time to, to help out, to provide that extra time they need for moving or for whatever it is, personal situation they might have, really acting right because i mean correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of us have met that one leader or or let's say a team leader that is all smiling and is always there for you you know in, in, in theory right you know like always very good with their team and making them laugh but then when it comes time to when problems arrive and you actually need some help with that extra day off or you have you're sick or you have this personal situation then the help doesn't really arrive, right? It's all, it's more words and less practical help that you, that you might be getting. And that person will remember that. And then when your competition calls and say, Hey, I want to interview you for a job, but the pay might not, it might only be a, a small bump, let's say, um, they might not think it's worth the risk. So they, you have to calculate like, how much is a great environment with a great boss? What is that worth financially? Um, also think about like remote work. If you have a flexible schedule, you're able to work from home. What is that worth for you financially? To Because you're leaving a situation that you know, maybe is good, maybe is not, or that you have that flexibility moving into unfamiliar territory, which they're gonna tell you all the right things that you need to hear. Uh, which is why you check Glassdoor and Indeed and ask your friends for that feedback. But is it worth the risk? And what is that dollar figure that's going to 
or that perk or benefit that's going to push you to make that change. I don't want my people to leave. They're great people. They do good work. And so I'm going to do everything I can in my power. And sometimes it's the small human elements that can really make a difference where the risk is too great for them to, to move on to something else, even for, you know, $20,000, $30,000. I mean, gosh, um, I mean, I might move myself for, for a bump and pay like that, but um, in, the, in the tech industry where you're working, Jose, like people move for a lot more. So, but they've also worked for shitty bosses and they know how that can really mess up their lives. And I like how you started with the business case also, you know, for business leaders that uh, not having a culture of empathy, the lower productivity and the higher turnover, those are very real things and they have very real consequences. I mean, how much time is it going to take for you to hire again, to interview people? And if you're paying an agency, right, a recruitment agency, that's tens of thousands of dollars or, or pounds that you're going to be spending in, in fees that you probably want to avoid, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's why you're seeing an increase in referral bonuses right now and all these like um, recommendation uh, TA tools where it's like, I'm going to connect you to my network and there's like a, um, a $6,000 hiring bonus. I, I, I heard about one this week and I'm like, hmm, do I know any developers <laughs> for $6,000? I mean, I might reach out to a few people in my network just to see. Um, but that's because there's so many people that are making the shift right now and they're moving, they're reevaluating their priorities and they're saying like, here's what I don't like about my job. Uh, here's what I do like, and, and here's what's important. I mean, right now for me, I'm saying I'm not going to conferences um, in general, like unless I am a, a paid speaker who's attending an event, I'm not going to conferences unless they're my own. And so I'm going to spend more time traveling and going international and hanging out with the people that I really love and enjoy versus going to the same old conference that hasn't changed for the last 20 years. It's so funny you mentioned the referral bonus companies because a lot of times it's, you know, you're you're being asked for a referral to, for a company you don't know. And on the one hand, you think, well, I don't know this company. Should I risk my network and my referral, right? And on the other hand, you're like, mm, but it's still $6,000. What am I going to do? <laughs> Well, hopefully it's for a good one, but I mean, you know, like any, like you think about the independent um, headhunters, like they can make one developer placement and that might be the only one that you make and it's enough to feed your family for a couple months. So, um, or, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm going for it all. And I got to pay for my Mercedes. So I need to make three placements this month, but um, I think we're going to see more referral type situations because it is so there's so many people who are, are making changes and now there's huge openings and gaps at companies that we need to fill quickly. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, for more information about yourself and your podcast and what you do, where can we go? The best place to go is just workology.com. You can head on over there and, and the podcast, the about section, different things. Uh, if you want to follow me personally or learn more about me, uh, probably the best place is Instagram and it's J Miller Merrill and um, it's Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R Merrill, M-E-L-L. M-E-R-R-E-L-L. I can't say my own last name, but it's just J. Miller Merrill. And, and that's kind of uh, where I'm on the socials. You can, you can find me uh, as a person, not uh, just the Workology brand. Oh, I didn't realize you were on Instagram. I'll definitely follow you. 
Cool. Yeah. I'm trying to do more. I, I've been on Instagram forever and like uh, I was a beta user and I really love it. It's such a great way to learn about people uh, through photos. Yeah, absolutely. And for the listeners, I'll put these links in the episode description. Jessica, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really enjoyed this call. Hopefully our listeners as well. And again, thank you so much. Absolutely. Enjoyed being a part of it. It was great fun speaking with Jessica. You can find more information about her in the episode description. If you like this podcast, then please subscribe or follow. We're on Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. Thanks again and stay safe.